intention interior trucking companies if you are relying on facility insurance you could be overpaying reduce your insurance cost by 10000 or more per truck and good news we accept drivers with only 1 years of experience to learn more just send us text by typing insurance to 3653640714 thank you um, i'm known in the industry within the company as a subject matter expert I have my own. I have my own button on the on the Big Road Fleet Complete website, which I'm really proud of, and it's basically called Ask the Expert. Yes, Ask Ask the Expert. That was Mark Malcio uh, from Fleet Complete, and he's my guest on this week's the Dog on a Trucking podcast. And Mark and I get talking about Canadian ELDs, when they might get uh, implemented, the new U.S. hours of service rule changes that might or might not get implemented this year and all the complexities of ELDs and hours of service. So join us. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Harris, Safety Dog. And when it comes to trucking safety, the dog is on it. Please, if you would show your appreciation for the podcast by leaving a thumbs up, a comment, a rating, it would help me so much. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Now, let's get on with the show. Mark Monsignor, welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. How in the heck are you, my friend? Doing very well, Chris. Nice to be on your call here. This is fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, not a problem. I think you've got a lot of great information that we need to share and get out to the public, um, especially about ELDs and hours of service and everything. But before we get into all that kind of stuff, can you give us a bit of a background on you? I first met you a long time ago when you were working for the MTO. Exactly, yeah. Well, essentially, as you likely know, like I, I literally eat, breathe, and sleep safety. It's in my DNA. Like I come from the trucking background. My dad was in the industry, and he's the one that got the diesel fumes and axle grease in my DNA. So I actually full fully licensed the CDL holder as well. But uh, I come from like the, a different background. So I have a law degree, and I also have a logistics uh, designation mm -hmm. from, from the CITT. So, um, sorry, you're a, actually a lawyer? Well, I have an honors BA in law. I didn't go off to law school. I ended up getting okay. married and having kids instead. And then I went on to uh, get a CITT designation, which I'm really proud of. The graduating year, I got the highest mark of the class. And I got this beautiful rhinoceros uh, heirloom on my fireplace. To it. <laughs> and I sat on the board as, as well at, with CITT. So... I've so, worked in the in the private and the public sector for about 30 years now. Sorry, before you leave CITT, that's an acronym. Can you explain that for our viewers and listeners? Sure. So that's the Canadian Institute of Traffic and Transportation. It's it's a multi-year program that uh, it takes several years to, to complete. So I did that all online, and this is going back to my days with MTO. So when right. I was on the road away from my family in my hotel room, I was just taking online courses and uh, eventually finished it off. And I, I have CIT, CITT next to my name, and I'm proud to, uh, to say that. That's cool. What roles did you have uh, when you were working for MTO? I've had several roles since 1988. So when I first started, I was uh, 
It was kind of interesting. I had just finished university, and my wife and I, over a cup of coffee, I was reading the Toronto uh, Star, and they had the next generation of postings for enforcement officers throughout Ontario. And so there were several jobs across the province. And my wife and I were both from Timmins, Ontario, which is in the Great White North. So there was a posting in Timmins, and I said to my wife, you know, I think I'm going to apply for this job. And this is going back to 1988. So it was, it was a very long process in order to to actually be hired it was like five interviews and but anyway I, I was selected and I, I became a transportation enforcement officer which was an on-road enforcement officer uh, the interesting thing about northern Ontario compared to the south is in the north you have to really be a generalist because there's not a a lot of uh, personnel so you have to learn everything from weighing trucks to inspecting vehicles to dangerous goods to cargo security to opening and closing inspection stations to you know there was just I had to learn everything which in hindsight was great because in the south they earmark you for specialties based on what you're good at so one would be the dangerous goods specialist the other one would be the CVSA specialist another one would do investigations well in the north you had to do everything so uh, I did that for you know 1988 until 1994 and then they created the facility audit program, in which was essentially, you're, you know, you got a bigger stick. So you're going from on-road enforcement, talking to drivers, to off-road enforcement, where you're talking to company owners. And what was the interesting thing is when I would used to be on the road, the drivers would say, my company is forcing me to do that. And, you know, I'm sorry, and I'm overloading, or, uh, you know, I'm working too long, or my vehicle's not well maintained. It's the company's fault. Well, when you look at the flip side, I'm now interviewing the company owners and they're saying it's the driver's fault. If those guys would only do proper pre-trips, do a better job at that. So, but it was just essentially carrying a bigger stick. And then in the late 90s, if you recall, wheels started flying off trucks. So there was was a lot of incidents and there was just one actually a few days ago. I don't know if you saw that on the news on the 401. Yes, that was a horrific uh, accident there. Yeah, so when that happened, um, I had finished my law degree and I had finished my CITD designation. And the director of the compliance uh, branch at, back in the day invited me to work on a secondment, which was basically rewriting all of the truck safety violations, which I did. So I made a lot of new friends with these increased fines and all these new, new, new programs and policies. And eventually, I was promoted to uh, the Carrier Sanctions and Investigations Office. So that was in in uh, 1998 and then I moved on I was an administrator writing a lot of policies and and programs dealing with industry getting to know stakeholders in the industry meeting Chris Harris I think that's when we first met Mm -hmm. and then uh, thereafter I I went into a team lead function with the ministry and basically I was leading the team uh, writing of the policies and programs and I was doing a lot of speaking engagements and uh, there was one speaking engagement where I was talking about CVOR and other initiatives with the government and uh, the largest uh, trucking insurance company uh, CEO was in the audience and after the uh, speaking engagement came to see me and said, we need to hire someone like you to work and head our, our safety programs with this insurance company, which I ended up doing. Uh, I did that for about three years and the economy took a bit of a dive and they ended up consolidating the company under like four companies under one umbrella a lot of people ended up uh, being outsourced from their roles so i got a into a little bit of consulting work 
I wrote uh, three books uh, with uh, the Canadian Trucking Alliance and L'Association du Camionnage du Québec. I wrote uh, the Transportation of Dangerous Goods uh, manual in English and French and uh, also Hours of Service. And uh, uh, thereafter, I ended up working for probably the largest waste management company in North America. I started with a role strictly in Ontario and then it, I, I got promoted to all of Canada. And then I was promoted to all of North America. So I was your international director of safety for waste management. And then there was our company was acquired. And after the company was acquired, the same kind of thing with this insurance company where they end up consolidating. There was two of me. One was an incumbent with the company. The other one was me. So we ended up parting ways. And uh, it was around that same time where the largest 3PL in Canada reached out to me to be their head of safety and that kind of worked out well because I was traveling a lot with this waste management company. Like I was gone three weeks a month. I was right. hardly ever home and that was very difficult. Like I'm a very strong family oriented person. I was gone three weeks a month. And so I was, this kind of, the moon's aligned with that. I ended up working pretty well strictly in Canada, but I had a team of about 50 people across Canada on the safety front. We did some recruiting up in Jamaica <laughs> some Jamaican drivers working of all places in northern Alberta, you know, but that was kind of the, the mandate there. And I spent a bit of time up in Europe as well, recruiting some drivers in Europe. And, uh, you know, then ELD started uh, emerging in the marketplace. And uh, as you know, Chris, I'm very active in all social medias. And uh, thereafter, um, the, the head of uh, Fleet Complete uh, Human Resources reached out to me and said, similarly to what had happened uh, with the insurance company, uh, we don't have anybody with your kind of background. Like we have a lot of superstars that do product development, research and development, you know, but we don't have, and that's where I kind of fit in. So I started off with um, Fleet Complete uh, as the product owner where I oversaw this, the hours of service product. And then as the company continued to grow and through acquisitions, we've now gone worldwide. We have offices worldwide. I evolved into a the head of safety, compliance, and regulatory affairs. And we had the acquisition of Big Road, which uh, I, I spent a lot of time with the Big Road folks. Um, and we just kept on growing. And I, I took on a more corporate role. And eventually, like as of last year, I moved into an executive role. And I'm now the vice president of safety, compliance, and regulatory affairs. So I'm really proud of that. Um, I'm known in the industry within the company as a subject matter expert. I have my own. I have my own button on the on the Big Road Fleet Complete website, which I'm really proud of, and it's basically called Ask the Expert. So I get asked questions from all different capacities all around the world in different languages, and there's a team that helps sort of the cue these questions to me. Uh, and I, I respond back, whether you're a client or a non-client or a prospect, you know, if you want to know something about a truck, a bus, a truck driver, a bus driver, anything involving regulations, you know, you can reach out to me and it's my pleasure to answer those types of questions. I have uh, well over 100 blogs that I've written, both at uh, Fleet Complete and, and Big Road. It's on the Ask the Experts site, so you just have to click the button. I touch pretty well every department uh, at, at Fleet Complete and Big Road. Uh, I don't have staff actually working for me, but yeah, I interact with the salespeople, the tech support people, uh, business development. I'm kind of like the the acid test whenever the company is trying to put something new out into the marketplace. They'll push it out to me and say, like, you know, what, what do you think about this? Well, would this 
resonate with our customers or not. So I've helped uh, reshape a lot of the programs, uh, the product to make it very, very user friendly. So I'm really become an advocate for a lot of our customers. I get a lot of calls. I'm on a lot of calls where customers have now deployed ELD. And um, I've come to find that there's a lot of misinformation, lack of knowledge in terms of hours of service. <laughs> so when people used to work in the, in the paper world, but now under ELD, there's violations. They're unsure what these violations are, why they're happening. They don't know how All to use this. Yeah, they don't know how to use the sleeper berth functions properly. The rules are different, as you know, Chris, Canada, United States are very complicated, east to west even. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of nuances, and it keeps the safety dog busy, and it keeps uh, Mark Mosio busy as well. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. i got to tell you, it's like a... It's it's like a, a second win, you know. I'm doing things that I really enjoy doing, so it's it's uh, oh, gone gone very well. It's cool. I mean, obviously, with the uh, advent of ELDs in the states, that created. Um, I mean, there was always a need before that happened for electronic logging devices, but yeah. then when they mandated it, of course, there was a lot of holdouts. That all of a sudden, uh, companies like Fleet Complete uh, got a lot more customers. Yep. I, I go back to the day, if you recall, where uh, we were getting close to the milestone date in the United States, and people were always of the mindset that at the 11th hour, they would just rescind <laughs> the rule. Well, you should have seen the mad dash at the 11th hour. Like, we had people, you know, all hands on deck at Fleet Complete, people working 24-7, uh, people being pulled from other capacities to answer questions, to help with the onboarding. Yeah, I, w I was flooded with, with, with stuff, but you know, it, it all worked out really well. And now in Canada, there's not going was, to be the grandfathering clause. And, and no, I was going to say, we're, we're going to do the same stuff here in Canada, just about. Yeah. So it, it, it's going to be a little bit different though. I think in Canada, because for the better part, as you know, a lot of the movement of goods is North South. So a lot of the larger carriers are already ELD compliant with the United yeah. States where the catch is going to be. And as you know, it's the third-party certification process of which I'm on the stakeholder committee with Transport Canada and the Canadian Council of Motor Transport Administrators. The self-certification is going to be quite different, and you're going to see a lot of U.S.-based motor carriers that are using non-compliant ELDs yeah. wanting to come into Canada. They're going to these guys are going to just like, sorry, we, we're not certified by the by the uh, by Transport Canada. We can't service you in Canada. So that's going to create an issue, I think. The other thing is... For the American, it, yeah. the American carriers. Yes, yeah. That and the other thing... That, yeah. And, that, and the other thing I think is probably going to happen is, as I alluded to earlier, the rules are different, Canada and the U.S. There's, there's a lot of nuances. Like in Canada, our rules, for the better part, are much more flexible yeah. than the United States. The exception is the personal conveyance requirements, as you know. Yeah. So you're going to have motor carriers in the United States using personal conveyance. And as soon as they cross the border into Canada and they're pulling a trailer or they're carrying a load, they're going to say to the officer at the scale, I'm using personal conveyance. And the officer is going to say, well, sorry, you can't use personal conveyance in that fashion in Canada. Yeah. So that's going, to be, done, that's going to be think, problematic. I think there's three videos I've completed about, uh, one about the personal conveyance rule in the States and then two more about how Canadians are getting tickets because they're legally using personal conveyance in the States. But when yep. they cross the border, uh, as you say, they're not legal now. 
Exactly. So, That's problematic. And as a former regulator, I always wish governments would get on the same page. It's easy for me to say that now that I'm in private industry. <laughs> I couldn't say that when I was with the ministry. But even within the provinces, you don't have you don't have agreement. You know, like Western Canada doesn't want the cycles and, and the east. They want more flexibility. Uh, it's just all over the place. Now you, you're adding the United States to the mix. It's just, it, it creates so much complexity. Like even within the company I work for, I'm constantly educating staff about, you know, these new rules and how it's going to affect them and how the rules engine has to be tweaked Canada and the United States. So that, that's that been very interesting for me. Well, in the whole process now, um, I really wonder, as you had already said, there's a lot of carriers who have ELDs. Um, yeah. Most of these ELD systems come from the U.S. And not all of them are large competitors of Fleet Complete. There are some really small people. Yeah. And I really question whether some of those smaller companies uh, even know that there is a mandate to get them themselves certified uh, to be legal in Canada. And I yeah, think... That's it's going to be a, a real challenge if you're not on, on, on par. Like you take, for example, in the United States under the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration website, the list of certified ELD vendors, if you've ever gone on that site, oh, yeah. you can see like ours as an example. We have a, Everyone is obliged to post their, uh, their user manual. Well, you got some user manuals there that are like 10 pages long. You know, the, the, the rulemaking is like over 500 pages. You know, like don't tell me you've done all of the functional requirements within the rules engine with a 10 page user guide, you know? So, so that's going to be, that's going to be pretty interesting. I think as we, as we move forward. So looking well, forward, looking forward to that. I'll, I'll be very busy again with this, uh, this next phase in Canada. Well, when um, I understand that the, uh, they've opened up or they put out the request for ELD providers to submit their devices now so yep. that they can be certified here in Canada. Is that true? Yeah, so they're working through. There's a, there's a process that it hasn't been. I would have hoped like a little more engaging. You know, you compare it to the United States, we get flooded with information. In Canada, like they don't have the team that they have in the United States. They have a much smaller group of people. But you know, they've done things such as putting. You know, have you seen their FAQ on the on the Transport Canada's website? They have no. an FAQ. That, yeah, you should maybe go on there. Um, okay. You send me the link and I'll put it in the show notes so that the yeah. uh, viewers can yeah. go on it. Yeah. So it's, it's Transport Canada. They created an ELD, what you need to know web link. And on it, it's okay. got the Canadian ELD standards. It's got the FAQs. There's another, there's an info byte on there as well. And they've engaged, they've engaged vendors and myself on behalf of Fleet Complete Big Road. I've sent them a whole list of comments and questions because Again, the functional requirements in the United States are different than the functional requirements in Canada. Oh, yeah. I was hoping they'd be the same, but they're not. You know, just there's the Canadian flavor of the day part of it. So it's keeping me gainfully employed. I can tell you that it's keeping me busy. But uh, yeah, there there are some some changes uh, that people will have to be aware of. So in Canada, the, I mean, one of the big differences between Canada and the U.S. rule is that ELDs have to be certified so that we don't get into the mess that yep. um, I, I read an article in the States that they figure somewhere between 25 and 50% of the um, ELDs that are on the FMCSA website actually don't meet the standard. 
Exactly. Yeah, you're correct. You're correct. That's probably maybe even be higher. I don't know. But what's happening is is ELD vendors are become decertified all either voluntarily or what's typically happening is when the trucker gets stopped at roadside, the officer asks for the ELD output file to be displayed. And it's very prescribed what the output file must look like. It's much different than your standard log. And if it doesn't have these additional parameters, it actually flags the officer at roadside that this is a non-compliant device. The other is when they do the ELD data transfer with the EROD system, if it doesn't transmit correctly according to the parameters of, of uh, the DOT, that's another flag that would then get escalated to FMCSA, and that would trigger the decertification process. And the, oh. the, other, the other thing is the ELD information packet that has to be surrendered, the driver card. Now, in Canada, it's going to be different because we're not following the EROD data transfer. It's just uh, going to be... I mean, the Canadian devices have to do the EROD data transfer. And for the listeners, what we're talking about is how does your roadside enforcement officer get your information from the electronic logging device? That right. transfer system is what we're talking about. Yep. And so there's a certain protocol that all the ELDs do now. But in Canada, you just said we're not going to follow the same thing? We're not. No, there's not going to be any EROD data transfer process. It's basically the, the driver is going to be asked to PDF the actual logs, either the log for the day in question or the log in the previous 14, which in Canada is 14, whereas in the United States it's seven. And it's simply going to be Chris Harris at mpo.gov.on.ca. Just email that PDF to me. So it doesn't go to like a, a third party repository and gets bounced back to the officer at the, at the roadside or the scale. So it's wow. different. I mean, that sounds really good, except for if I was running Northern Ontario, where we know, um, and I mean, Canada just doesn't have the cell phone network that uh, other countries may have. There's a lot of areas that aren't covered yet. Exactly. How that's going to be captured, Chris, is basically in regulation, the officer is going to say, okay, do we have coverage for you to email me via the PDF? If the cell service isn't there, then the regulation says, you must now be in a position to display it to me. So display it on the tablet or on the phone. And where another thing that's getting challenging is uh, the third option being printing. Not every trucker has a printer in their, right. in their truck. So what is also challenging is officers are not going to go into the cab of the truck. So there is some technology where the device is actually hardwired, tethered to the, the truck. So then the driver is saying, well, Mr. Officer, just come up on my running boards and I'm going to show you my, my device. Well, the officer, some will get on the running boards. Some are going to say, no, you have to actually physically give it to me. And, yeah. and, and there are some drivers and companies being charged in the United States for that very thing. If they cannot physically give the device to the officer. Now, the other thing that's kind of interesting, something talking about features with, with our product to make it user friendly when I was working with Big Road, I said, you know what we got to do? We got to lock in like the actual inspection mode. Lock that in because not that officers are going to start uh, purposely going through someone's personal records, but if you don't lock it in and just show the logs that they're requesting, an officer could inadvertently start looking at other things, right? So, uh, 
So I've, I've got this system where the driver will lock into inspection mode and all the officer can see are the logs for the day in question and also the if they want to review their DVIR, their driver vehicle inspection report. We have that capability as well, but the officer cannot go on a tangent and start looking at family pictures and you know looking at other things and etc. So that's just another user-friendly thing I tried to do for the truckers with Fleet Complete and Big Road. Yeah, no, I, I mean privacy. We all know privacy is hugely important, and um, you know we're still in the midst of COVID when they're talking about tracking devices uh, for people who are infected or became infected and. Um, you know, privacy, it just, I'm not sure where all that's going to go. And I'm not sure that truck drivers understand how much information um, big data has on, on everybody, right. you know, yep. now yep. a lot of it is there's no name associated with it, but there's an awful lot of information. There certainly uh, is. Certainly is. Even with this COVID like at fleet complete, our, our business is really, really boosted up because we do a lot of work with first responders police, right. enforcement, ambulance, um, and, you know, they want to know where their assets are at all times. There's a lot of incidents, as you know, in the United States of violence against truckers and, you know, having the ability to know in real time where an actual vehicle is located and telling where drivers should reroute using our, our fleet tracking software to reroute around all these dispute areas. So yes. now is that dynamic? Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, That's cool. cool. And, and yeah. again, just for our listeners, when I ask the word dynamic, um, what happens is, and Mark, correct me, because this is my understanding of it. And as you know, I'm not in a truck and I don't work for an ELD provider. But yeah. uh, to me, dynamic means that the truck is on a certain route. And if a yeah. highway was to get closed, then the driver gets a notice and is told to reroute according to the closure. Um, saving money and a lot of time for the truck driver. Is that basically what dynamic means? Essentially, yeah. Real time, like real time live notices to say, you know, there's actually a dispute at this bridge here in San Francisco. You know, I think you'd best take the secondary route, so reroute yourself in that fashion. And and, the, and Fleet Complete knows the truck routes, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you know our experience in the insurance business, how many bridges we tried to deliver oh, with. Uh, yeah, I know. I still see the pictures of the bridges on Facebook and so on. Support truckers. It's the signs right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not 13 feet six here. Don't go here. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, with this, it just, it's more complexity when you're trying to do dynamic routing. Um, yeah. Obviously, I mean, it's obvious to me, and I just wanted you to say it, that Fleet Complete knows the truck route. Um, and wouldn't uh, send the driver off on some uh, inappropriate area. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Know, talking about the Canadian rules uh, or the ELDs, any idea when they might come into effect? What have you uh, heard? I know, you know, it was June 2021 is the last date I actually heard. Yeah, June 13th, 2021, there's not going to be a grandfathering provision the decision was made to not do that, unlike what happened in, in the United States, where they had the phased-in approach with automatic onboard recording devices right. to then full ELD. For those that didn't have ELD, well, in, in Canada, it's just going to be full ELD. Now, the other thing that's really key and for your listeners is 
this is a federal law. This is Transport yep. Canada federal law. So a lot of carriers that go north-south will likely still have an ELD, which will then have to be compliant with the Canadian requirements. These same motor carriers that travel east-west would likely still deploy ELD. Now, some fleets, and you know this as well, some fleets have a mixed fleet. They say some are ELD, some are paper logs. Yeah. It's like as a former safety director, that's very complicated to try and manage a mixed fleet. One day the driver's on paper logs, the next day he's on electronic logs, and he's got to account for his previous 14 days. So a lot of carriers have just said, let's just go fully ELD, east-west. Where the challenge is going to be are the intra-provincial carriers. So basically the carriers that stay within the domicile of a province. So say Ontario, unless the government of Ontario elects not to uh, adopt the rule, then these carriers will technically be exempt. Now right. I am, I'm anticipating provinces like Ontario has already made the statement through the minister that we will comply with the rules. Same thing with some provinces out in Western Canada. Some have remained silent, but I'm anticipating hopefully full full compliance because it's going to be confusing for those carriers that are sometimes in ELD, sometimes not in ELD. So that'll be interesting to see. Well, just to be clear, though, this is a federal law. So anybody that goes outside of their base province um, yes. will have to comply. And that's exactly. June the 13th, you said 2021? June 13th, 2021. Now, the other thing, and I haven't heard this yet, and you know, you know yourself, like some provinces have different requirements for hours of service than others. So yeah. again, like you take in some provinces, you, the elapsed 16-hour rule applies, in others it does not. In some provinces, the cycle rules don't apply. In some provinces, the single and the team drivers are, are somewhat different. Uh, you know, it, you know, the emergency and adverse road condition. It, it, north of 60, you have different requirements there. So it, it's, it should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one word for it. It should be fun. Uh, well, and, and the biggest thing is, I wonder how, what carriers or what ELD providers who are currently servicing Canadian companies are not going to bother getting certified? Because I imagine um, two, two points to that. One, it costs money, and some yep. of them may not have enough business structure here in Canada to justify the outlay. Um, and the second part is because they have to comply um, and our rules are more flexible, which I think equals complexity, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. the programmers are going to go crazy trying to make their device comply. Yep. So, so you have a lot of money in it. There's, there's a lot of development work and, and the team at Big Road have been working diligently with me as well. I'm providing all of the rules, engine nuances to them. Like I'm not a developer. Right. So when I talk to the team, I say, I don't know how to code this, but I'm telling you, if you're going to go north of 60, the hours in a day are different. You know, the, the off-duty times, the splits are all different. So I provide them with all the regulatory nuances, but then they go ahead and develop the programs. And we have regular... Um, meetings, update meetings where they, they advise how they're coming along. But uh, I fully anticipate uh, Fleet Complete to be 100% compliant. We've actually even got an official letter that's been written by our executive vice president um, honoring the fact that, you know, at Fleet Complete Big Road, we are going to be fully compliant, not only 
U.S. side, but Canada side and, and provincially as well. Yeah, that's great because um, I'm not aware of many other Canadian um, ELD providers. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of them. There's a couple. We're, we're one of the largest, if not the largest, ELD yeah. vendor. I mean, I, I did some work with, uh, and I'll mention them, Fleet Rover. Um, mm -hmm. You won't, but I will. But I mean, I know that you have, um, Fleet Complete also has an association. I don't know what, uh, I haven't heard from Fleet Rover in a long, long time. We don't even know if they're still operating at the moment, but they were Canadian as well out of the, uh, the high tech area of Waterloo. Right. Yeah, you're correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, anything else you want to say about the Canadian rules? And so we got the date, we got, it's going to cost money. Um, it's very complex. Uh, what else is happening here in Canada for ELDs or even, are there any hours of service changes coming? There aren't, there aren't any contemplated, but I'm hoping, you know, the government of Canada takes this opportunity to perhaps revisit some of the requirements, you know, I sit on the committee, they haven't actually pushed that out to the stakeholder group. But if they do, I'm certainly going to make comment on areas where I think it would modernize the requirements. There certainly our rules are much more flexible than the United States already. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to make them even more flexible. But things such as, you know, in Canada, we have a specific definition of a day, like that's very complicated. Right. So, you know, so for a fleet that has 50 drivers, they can all have different definitions of a day, and they keep that definition throughout their cycle until it resets. Right. And it makes it also very complicated for the enforcement community. I, as a former government, government auditor, I would go in and audit carriers. If I had a carrier that had like eight different definitions of a day, it, it made my job complicated. But, you know, that's one thing I already alluded to the personal conveyance requirements. I find they're pretty restrictive. I think that would be an opportunity to, uh, I wouldn't go full bore like the United States because it's very difficult to enforce based on the language. Yeah, they've, they've opened that up to a lot of uh, fraud, yeah. I think. Oh yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult to enforce that personal conveyance requirements. Now, there's a whole detailed document, I'm sure you've looked at it, where you can qualify for, for the personal conveyance. The other big difference between the two countries is in the United States, you have a number of, of lobby groups, stakeholder interest groups, oh. and you can't please everybody. Like I think you've heard about the last hours of service reforms that, are, that have been proclaimed. I'm not sure if it's gonna happen by September 30th, uh, 2020, that's the push. But you have you know, the American Trucking Association, the Truckload Carriers Association pushing in favor of the law, you've got the Teamsters against the law. You've got the, there's a, an organization that represents the rail industry. Uh, um, I guess it, yeah, crash. <laughs> They're pushing against it. You have truck drivers that are saying it hasn't gone far enough. Yeah. You don't you don't see that kind of like you, you know in Canada we got the Canadian Trucking Alliance, we got OTA and all the provincial associations, and they're all in favor of ELD. But you don't really hear a lot on the flip side of things. So, um, no. And sorry about the U.S. law. And I was going to ask you what you thought of it, but I really don't believe we're going to see that change come this year. Because yeah, I, I've heard a lot of rumblings because of that. There's a new uh, regulation coming place with the U.S. DOT. It's through their Fast Act. Yeah. 
2015 FAST Act, and it, I'm thinking it could delay it. So take a take an ELD vendor such as ours, like Big Road. I've already I've put a whole detailed chart together, the the current and the new, and how it differentiates from one another. So we have to plan that it's going to happen. So the development work has to actually get done. Right. But but it's just like if they don't move with the regulation it's wasted time and money for my company, right? Because the developers are working on certain things. They could be working on something else for the company. Now we've got to amend our rules engine to account for a reg change in the United States, which may or may not happen. So we got to err on the side of caution and I've, I've, I've directed them to, you know, update the rules engine to accommodate these changes under the hope that, if it does get changed, at least we're going to have the work done and not have to do like a mad scramble at the 11th hour. Yeah, no, I've, it's crazy. And of course, you've only got so many resources. And right now, I imagine you've got a lot of resources working to get everything compliant with the Canadian stuff. Exactly. And then exactly. all of a sudden, you've got all this little, not a little side job, uh, yep. but you've got another job to make it compliant with a possible new U.S. rule. That uh, yep. may or may not take effect on September. I think it was 28th is what I had heard. But, uh, yep. you know, I, because they tied it to a bill. They did tie it to a bill, yep. Um, that's going to delay it. Uh, yep. So You also have that group, the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association. Yeah, OIDA. Yeah, they're, they're dead set against it as well. They, they think it hasn't gone far enough type thing. And, or just get rid of, let's not have any hours of service rules altogether. <laughs> but, you know, each stakeholder group has legitimate concerns. And, you know, it's just it, trying, to, trying to please everybody is just not going to happen, really. Well, I'm of the, uh, the belief that if we just all drove when we were wide awake and not um, fatigued or anything, we wouldn't have needed the hours of service. I know, but I know. Because yep. we, we allow people to push us or for many reasons. We sometimes choose to not do the right things as humans. Yep. And Everyone uh, gets painted with the same brush, and that's the unfortunate thing, you know. But yeah. uh, that's how regulations work. It tends to be very reactionary. It's like the wheel-off legislation. People yeah. are being hurt. So let's throw a $50,000 fine at you through absolute liability and now let's. How about in, how about the enforcement side of it? Like you can have all the rules in the world, but if it's not going to be enforced, then that's another problem in itself, right? Yeah. Just before we wrap up, Mark, what else do we want to uh, cover? Well, I'm I'm pretty good with what we talked about, unless you want to go into more detail about the U.S. rules. But that may be a little premature now. We could perhaps yeah. follow up uh, if we know there's a concrete uh, when a there's concrete a date. Yeah, then, then if you wish to have me on, we can have a discussion just about the rules on that front, and it'd be my pleasure to join you for that. Yeah, I think that would be super, actually, because yeah, you know, sure. because so many of our drivers do cross the border. They need to understand the rules. Yeah. And the last company I was working with intimately, I found out again how the drivers really don't understand the rules. The yeah, ELD you're says, right. you're in violation, and they go, why? Yeah, Exactly. Well, I'm here to help, and uh, again, I, I post a lot of material on, on Ask the Expert. If ever you're looking or your audience is looking for anything, you go to Big Road's homepage, Fleet Complete's homepage. I have my own little button called Ask the Expert. You just click on that, and likely if you're curious about something, I likely have written about it already. Well, <laughs> we'll put a, a link in the show notes to the Ask the Ask Expert. I got to 
I don't know why I'm tripping over that. Ask the expert shouldn't be that difficult. Uh, yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes right to it. Your contact info is in the uh, show notes, of course. Yeah. Yep. And Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. A great interview. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. Always a pleasure chatting with you, Chris. Have a great day and congratulations on the podcast as well. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. I hope you loved the show as much as I did. Please leave us a like, a thumbs up, a review, a comment, a rating if it is in your heart. Thank you so much. And I do really appreciate your time. And join us again next week for another exciting interview.